0: A number of years ago, I was in uh, the high country of Colorado attending a conference. And uh, it was kind of one of those small conferences, not really for preachers, although they let some preachers go, and I was one of them. And uh, it was in a small chapel. that seated probably 200, 250, about maybe the size of our chapel next door. And uh, the conference leader was Richard Foster, who uh, is probably one of the most, I guess I'm done, is one of the most prolific writers of Christian spirituality and spiritual formation in our generation. And as we were sitting in that kind of intimate environment and he was talking to us, uh, among other things we were talking about prayer. And he began to tell us a story of... Um, well, kind of back in the old days of the Christian movement, especially when a lot of Christian people were abandoning life as the public knew it and they were moving out to the desert places and uh, they were moving out to become monks. It was the monastic movement as Christianity was struggling with how do you relate with real people, how do we relate with the real world and at the same time make sense of this call to greater maturity in Christ. And so a lot of people would just kind of leave their stuff behind. They'd move out to the deserts uh, and join these monk, uh, monastic kind of orders. And in this one particular place, uh, one of these guys showed up out there. And in all of those monasteries, there's always one monk who's in charge. And uh, this guy came out and he had lots of different questions. He had questions about how to do their life there, and he had questions about spiritual growth. and So he went to the leader of this monastery, and he asked this question. Uh, so on this particular part of our life, what should I do? And the response then of the guy in charge of the monastery was this. Go to your cell, and your cell will teach you everything. Now, in our minds, we go to cell phones, but a cell for them was just like a little room, like a cell like you think of in prison, except it wasn't a prison thing. It was a monastery. Go to your cell, and your cell will teach you everything. The idea was you go out there, and you just get with God, and God will teach you everything you need to know. So he tried that. But coming out of the regular world, he didn't really have... Uh, any real clue how to do that and never really been taught about prayer and so he's in there for probably 45 minutes or an hour and he goes back to the leader and he says I'm not getting anything to which the leader responded go to your cell and your cell will teach you everything and Richard Foster is telling us this story, and it goes on and on, and he gets specific questions. But over a period of weeks, this guy, this new recruit out there, uh, he doesn't get it. He's just not getting it. And so every time he goes to the leader of the monastery, the monastery says, go to your cell, and your cell will teach you everything. And as Foster was telling us that story, there in that small place up in the mountains of Colorado, some lady's cell phone went off. Now, that's a bad scene in that particular place. And we all kind of drew our breaths in like, oh, what's he going to do? He's going to go off on her. And as she gets up and she's fumbling with her stuff and she's embarrassed as, you know, you know how that goes. As she's walking out, Foster says to her, go to your cell and your cell will teach you everything. Now, let me tell you, that is a great metaphor. It really happened. It's a great metaphor for us. I want to ask you this morning as we begin, where does God tend to teach you your best lessons? In in that particular setting, the whole idea was for us. It was the week was set apart for silence. And we have been told going into that, no cell phones, none of that kind of stuff. That's why we all draw our breath in. But in that particular instance, she became the metaphor for all of us. Because the reality is that the modern technology, the modern life, all of our schedules and all those things have a way of interrupting right at the moment God's trying to teach us something important. So the question stands. What is the classroom in which God does his best teaching in your life? I want us to look today, by the way, we're in the last verse of chapter 1 of Luke's gospel. Unless I live a really long time, you'll probably never hear me preach out of Luke chapter 1 again. Somebody said amen, I get that. Luke chapter 1 verse 80. We come to this passage now and we're going to pick up what I believe is an important biblical motif. It's one of those long-standing lessons in scripture that we find. And so I'm going to step back from the story as Luke is telling it, and I'm going to use what he says in verse 80 as kind of an entry point into the hallway that teaches us something about God's classroom in our lives. In Luke chapter 1, we've been reading about the narrative that surrounds the birth of John the Baptist. Now, Jesus' birth has been sort of introduced in this, and not just sort of, but it's been really there, uh, but really Luke's intent here seems to be to focus our attention fully on this guy named John the Baptist, and so we follow through as his father, Zechariah is in the temple, and Gabriel visits him and talks and all that kind of stuff, uh, and then the... the uh pregnancy of his wife Elizabeth and then the birth. And now we get to verse 80 and it's one of those snapshot, single verse kind of uh, thing that pulls in about 20 years worth of life. And he says this of this guy John the Baptist and the child that is John the Baptist grew and he became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. I want to talk about the wilderness as God's classroom for us. Have you ever noticed those times in life when God seems especially close and his voice is particularly loud? You know those times? You had those times in your own life? Like Moses at the burning bush where you're just going about your business and all of a sudden God interrupts that and you know he's close and you hear his voice and there's no question about what's going on there. The reason that I and Teresa are at this church is because we had one of those kind of series of of events with Christ where we knew that he was close and we heard him loudly. He said, get up, get your stuff together and move to East Texas. So if you have a problem with me, talk to him. You ever have those times when you know God's close and His voice is loud in you and it it goes off like thunder inside of you. But you know, there's another reality here and that is that sometimes, sometimes God's voice seems distant at best or maybe even non-existent. And search as you will search, you can't seem to find Him. So those are the times that he seems like he's far away and his voice is silent. Those are the times that Scripture helps us to see our times in the wilderness. So I want to build on that term today. The term is wilderness. We found it in verse 80. We're going to find it in a number of other places in Scripture. And here's what I want you to get today. God seems to favor wilderness times in our life as one of his chief classrooms to teach us spiritual growth. So before I go any further, let's stop and make sure that we're all wearing what is ours to wear out of this. So I operate under this basic conviction that any time we come together as a church like we've done today, everybody in here does not feel like singing his praise. The reality is that when God's people gather together, there are those among us who are in the wilderness in one way or another. As a matter of fact, it may be that you're that person today and that you came in here and you thought hope against hope, maybe God will show up today because Lord knows he hasn't shown up in my life lately. might even be that some of you are here today and you're giving God one last shot. And if he doesn't say something today, you might just walk away. I believe that churches across America today are full of people like that. And if that's you today, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to tell you, welcome to our world. Because that's true for all of us at some point. We all at some point find ourselves in the wilderness. That's a, mo- a motif that is found all through Scripture. I want to kind of walk through a few of those with you. But before we do that, let me let me get you to see this picture I there, there you go. Um, I took this picture, either I or Teresa, one of the two of us, if it's a good one, she probably took it. This is actually the wilderness that is referenced here in verse 80. This is what is called the Judean wilderness. It's in the stretch that goes from Jericho, which is down uh, at the north end of the de- of the Dead Sea, up to Jerusalem, and that is probably, I don't remember, maybe 20 miles, I don't remember exactly how far it is, not very far, but you go all the way, I mean, you're going from the Dead Sea, which is down the lowest geographical point uh on the globe, except for uh, in the oceans, up to Jerusalem. And we pass through all of this country, the Judean wilderness. I want you to get a good look at that because several things that we're going to talk about today in the Old Testament and the New is tied in that area. Now, what you're not seeing there are trees. What you're not seeing there our wildlife. The wildest life we saw was a camel. uh, And it happened to be tied to one of these guys who was a Bedouin, which is the native guys who kind of walk all over and try to eke out a living in this world. This is the Judean wilderness. It's a great picture for us of what the scripture refers to when it talks about going out into the wilderness. And it becomes a metaphor It's real, as you can see there geographically. Life there is tough, as we'll see in just a second. But it also becomes a metaphor for us for our ongoing spiritual growth and development. That is one of God's choicest classrooms for our development spiritually. I like what Craig Barnes says. He's a noted scholar and preacher. He says this relative to the Wilderness, as we find it in Scripture, it is a strange and a threatening place. Nobody wanted to enter the wilderness because it was a severe land where people regularly died. If they had to cross it, they did so as quickly as possible. No security, no reason to think that you would be okay. And it became the biblical metaphor for a hard place where faith grows. Did you catch that? Because that's the message this morning. The wilderness times of our lives, when God seems distant, and we take those times and we wear them hardly. It's difficult when we go through those kinds of times. Those are God's choice classrooms where faith grows. Doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Let me give you a couple of biblical examples of that, okay? So let's do a little audience participation here. Biblical trivia, whatever you want to call it. But let's do this together. Let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Abraham had a wife. What was her name? Well, it depends on when I'm asking you, right? Because actually her name got changed. Sarai, and it became Sarah. um, And Abram's name... Well, what was his name? It depends on when I'm asking you. Got to play along now. Abram... God later changed his name to Abraham. God gave Abram a promise. You remember what it was? I'm going to give you a son. Now, Abram took that information to his wife, Sarah, and she said, you know, really, God doesn't really understand biology like we do. We've heard that recently in these services in Luke's gospel. God really doesn't get the whole biology thing because after all, I'm way too old to have a child. Now sometimes I wonder if she wasn't really saying, I don't want any children at this age. That I understand much better. That's not what she said. She said, it ain't gonna happen. So, Abram, husband of mine, you see this handmaiden of mine. What was her name? Hagar. Hagar, whatever however you want to say it, okay? The woman basically. You see her over there, she's my handmaiden. Why don't you in our custom, why don't you have a child with her? In other words, Abram, let's do this for God. By the way, that's one of the key things that gets us into the wilderness is that tendency we have to help God along. I'm going to come back to some of that in a little bit when I want to talk about some of my own wilderness stuff. But that's part of our problem. We hear what God has to say and we decide, okay, well, this is really the best way to do that. So that's what happens with them. And so he has a son. What was his name? Ishmael. And lo and behold... You read the passage in Genesis there. Almost in the same breath that it says this happened, and he's growing up, all of a sudden, Sarai doesn't think that was such a great idea. It was her idea, but it wasn't such a great idea. Guys, keep your elbows to yourselves, okay? Don't make problem for yourself later today. She didn't believe it was such a great idea after all, and so she despises Hagar and her son Ishmael to the point that she puts pressure on Abraham And they then decide to send Hagar and Ishmael where? To the wilderness. And he gives them just enough provision to get far enough away from them so that he doesn't have to watch either one of them die. I want to come back to that in a few moments, but that's the first time we see this motif of wilderness as it creeps into the biblical story. Let's take another one. Let's take Israel themselves. You remember the story of Israel is in Egypt and they're in captivity? How long have they been there? Long time. So they've been in captivity and God decides it's time to move them out. And so we have that thing with Moses in the burning bush and Moses goes back and all of the miracles that God gets, that God uses to get them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they go and they find themselves up against the Red Sea and God parts the Red Sea, right? Y'all with me? I just, need, are you there? Hello? All right. So he parts the Red Sea, they go across, the waves come back in, or water comes back in, wipes out Pharaoh's army, and Israel is delivered, right? Where do they find themselves at that point? In the wilderness. For 40 years. You know what we can take from that? Sometimes these wilderness journeys of ours, where God seems distant and his voice doesn't seem to be happening at all, Sometimes we're in that condition for a very long time. How about David? King David, that is. We know the story of David and Goliath. God uses this little boy who's a shepherd to win this military victory, and that happens. And so his fame picks up, and the stock in David rises a little bit more in the political world of Israel, and eventually this boy, David, becomes king. And the Bible refers to him as the man after God's own heart. Surely this is a guy, if anybody's going to have to go to the desert, it won't be David, except it is David. Because David had a son, kind of like your son maybe, David had a son, and he wanted to be king. He didn't want to wait around for David to kick the bucket. And so he decides, I'm going to do an insurrection. I'm going to get him off of the throne. I will be king. By the way, sometimes our wilderness journeys are triggered by the actions of other people. Some of you may be in here today, and the reason you're distant from God is because somebody said something, somebody did something, and the reaction in your life is that you decided to stand at arm's length. And so David finds himself out in the southern part of the wilderness. Even worse than this part of the wilderness is what's just south of that. David's on the run in the wilderness. You ever have wilderness times in your life? Times that whether it's your doing or somebody else's, or maybe even God's, you find yourself wishing for some kind of evidence that God was alive. I've had several of those in my life. Right after I surrendered the ministry, Teresa and I knew that God told us, get after it, go get trained, go off to school. And so we started looking at that. We decided not to do that because after all... We knew better than God did. We're just like a little bit like Sarah ourselves. And we decided that we knew better than God did. And so we set up this nice elaborate little structure on how we were going to serve God in our own terms. And in doing so, we totally violated what he said to us. And so in that, we stepped right off into the wilderness of our lives. And for a period of time, it was as if God was not even there for us. On the verge of divorce, all kinds of problems in our relationship, all kinds of problems in work. In the midst of that, we reached a point where we realized that we had walked away from God into the wilderness. How about you? How is it with you and God today? Do the pieces of your life betray the choices that you've made? Another time in my life, it wasn't my doing at all. It was somebody else's. And yet, I still found myself at a point where I was not only wondering whether I would remain a pastor or a preacher or a minister at that particular time, I was even thinking of giving up the whole Christian life thing because of what I said to you earlier. Somebody who called on the name of God and wore it around had done damage to the cause. And it pushed me into a room at Baylor University, some kid's dorm room. I was there with a super summer group back when we used to take kids to super summer at Baylor University. And while, we were, while I was sitting in that room all by myself all week long, wanting to hear from God, and yet it was as if heaven had closed shop for the week. How is it with you? How long has it been since you heard God's voice loud and clear in your life? Sometimes God's the one that pushes us to the wilderness. Teresa and I were in the middle of a thriving youth ministry at the height of our energy. And God said, it's time for you to move. I said, I don't want to move. He says, it's time for you to move. Well, I'd run from him before. I didn't want to do that again. So he picked us up out of the place we were in. And he moved us to the wilderness, literally so. New Mexico is the... Wilderness. Literally. We lived in a... You ready for this? We lived in a county that was probably the size of Jefferson and Hardin put together. There was one culvert in the whole county. You know what that means? It never rains there. The wilderness, to be sure. Desert, to be sure. Where life ends. The hardest three years of our life, ministerially speaking. In a place, working with people, many of whom, especially the key leaders, seem to not care if God even existed or not. Because we have a plan on how we'll do it. I remember when I discovered that that was the wilderness, spiritually speaking. I was sitting in a staff meeting. We were making plans for the Christmas tree that that church had had for 20-plus years. And all of a sudden, it was the topic of discussion. And I made that naive youth minister suggestion. Do you think we ought to pray about whether we should do that or not? You know what you don't do in Baptist churches? You don't pray about things that are traditional that we do. Apparently. I learned that there in the wilderness. Sometimes we move ourselves there. Sometimes God works a miracle and he gets us there. The fact of the matter is sometimes we find ourselves in the wilderness. And when we get there, here's the question we usually ask. Why? Why are the things of my life falling apart? Why can I have a relationship? Why can't he love me? Why can't she do this for me? Why do my kids run off? Why, God? And actually the question maybe better stated is, why me? Because I'd much rather it happen to you than to me. Craig Barnes helps us again. God's historic answer for us to the why or the why me question is when we find ourselves in the wilderness and we ask God why, his answer to us is because there's something for you to learn there. That's why. That's the good news of this message. And we're just about to turn the corner to get there. I just wanted to make sure first that we all realize that there are desert wilderness times for all of us. And if you're in it today, hang on, there's good news coming. Greg Barnes says this. No one leaves the desert the same person as he or she was when he entered it. You can't spend that kind of intense time with God and not come out a new creation. So if you find yourself there today, here's my suggestion to you. Find a thin place. Now in our health conscious society, I need to explain thin place. This is not a exercise club. Or a dietary kind of thing. Actually, thin place is a term I need to make sure that I explain for you. Um, but I want to be careful because I, I one of the things I know and I appreciate about us here is that many times I'll give y'all homework and during the week people come back to me and say, Okay, I've done the homework, what about this? And you know, following up on some of the stuff I like suggested. So I want you to go and I want you to check out, Google, if you will, thin places. But I need to be careful with that because this is a concept that comes, um, well, really out of the Dark Ages, as best we can tell, comes out of the Dark Ages. They were called the Dark Ages on purpose. Uh wasn't a great time intellectually or religiously or other things like that. But during the Dark Ages in Celtic Christianity, that's in Great Britain in that area, uh, as those Christians were trying to make sense of this dynamic between the paganism that they had been around and was still around them and this claim to Christ and the call to spiritual growth and development, during that time, um, they started talking about these thin places, The idea behind the term is that as we go through our lives, there is this earth that we have, there is heaven somewhere else out there, and thin places are places where God compresses that down, and it's just not very far to God there. Now, there's all kinds of theological problems with that, so I don't want you to push it too far. One of the problems theologically with that is that God's not out there. If you're his child, he's in here. Okay, So what I really want you to get is this thin place that I'm talking about is really a matter of your heart, not a location on the globe somewhere. But the reality is when we find ourselves in the wilderness and God seems distant, then we don't look for those thin places. It's as if we just kind of settle into the wilderness and say, well, sooner or later God will come through. In the meantime, I'm going to be miserable. But you see the thin place, if you'll find those thin places where your heart cries out to God and opens to receive whatever he has to say to you, the desert becomes then your classroom from God. Let me give you an example. Frank Laubach. He was a PhD. He was a missionary. He's famous for a number of things. But one of the things that really endears me to him, by the way, if you want to read some of his stuff, his son compiled some of his journal articles, uh, and I think it's called Letters of a Modern Mystic or something like that. Uh, but he was a God-serving mi- uh, missionary in the Philippines. And God had called him to serve on this particular Philippine island that was inhabited by a tribe of Muslims. And he went into that place not knowing the culture, not knowing the language, if I remember right. And he knew that God called him there, but he found himself there. And he said it was the most miserable of times. People didn't receive what he had to say. He found it difficult to communicate with them. They didn't accept him. But he had a dog. I think that's what drew me to his story in the first place. He had a dog, you know. He could count on his dog. And it says that every day he would get up with that dog and they would climb the hill up behind where he lived. And he got to calling it Signal Hill. And as he sat there in this wilderness time of his life, he began to find a thin place with God. And God began to speak to him. And he began to see, one of the things that God told him was that One of the reasons you're not reaching these people is because you don't love them and they know you don't love them. And so God began to work him over about how he dealt with those people. He began to work him over about how he dealt with God himself. And so he began to say every hour, I want a connection with God every hour of my life. And that every hour of his life, once an hour, became every minute of my life. I want to give God just a little piece of every minute as a way of fulfilling that thing that says pray without ceasing. And his spiritual development took off. And amazingly, as his own personal spiritual development took off in that wilderness place, so did his ministry. He developed what became a famous literacy program called Each One Reads to One or Reaches One or something like that. But it was one of those things that was so foundational in that society that it worked there and it began to spread all over the planet. In the wilderness, a thin place where you connect with God and it's his classroom for us. Let me show you where that comes through in Scripture and then I'll be done. Remember Hagar and Ishmael? Remember how that story goes? Abraham gives her enough food and water for them to carry. That's about it. Just like I said, just enough for them to get far enough away from camp where he doesn't have to watch them die. Well, I want you to put yourself in that position, especially those of you who are mothers. Because scripture tells us that she reaches a point that she takes the boy and she sets him off and she goes off a little ways because he's about to die and she's gonna go off and so she can be there and see that happen. Can you imagine being in her shoes? Can you imagine the things that go into it that make that sound like a good option? How difficult must life have been for them in the wilderness, those two people, mother and son? And yet it was at that point when all hope was gone and she was ready and he was about to die that God stepped into the mix and gave her a very specific message for her and for that child. See, that's the beauty of the wilderness times. God has something to say to us there if we we'll just listen. How about Israel? Israel. They cross the Red Sea, they find themselves out there in the wilderness, and what do they do? They complain, just like good Baptists. They need stuff to drink. After all, it's the desert. They need stuff to eat. After all, it's the desert. There's nothing out there. It's so bad that they say to Moses, it would have been better if we just go back to Egypt. And lo, you were slaves in Egypt. Yeah, but we didn't need God in Egypt. You know, there's an interesting verse of Scripture that says that as they came out of Egypt, God moved them a certain direction, not the shortcut, but he says he moved them not to the shortcut but to the long way around because he knew that they were not ready for the fight that was waiting for them. So he pushes them through the wilderness and he teaches them, and it's in the wilderness at Mount Sinai where God shows up in a big way for them. The point is, if they hadn't gone that way, if they weren't in the wilderness, they'd have never heard that from God. If they just stayed in Egypt, they didn't need God. They had the Egyptians. That's us. God knows that it's not until we get in those positions where we are at the end of ourselves, that's when we're ready to find him. And so at Mount Sinai, God shows up in a big way. Matter of fact, in such a big way that he starts talking to them and they back up and they say, Moses, make it stop. We we, we don't want to hear it. Let him talk to you and you tell us because he's scaring us. He's so real and so big. Some of us are here today. We need that message. We need to know God's real. We need to know he's big enough to take care of the, the situation that's in your life right now. David and Absalom, David finds out in that wilderness area a spring of water, and there's hope there. John the Baptist pushed into the wilderness to prepare for a message that we find in Luke chapter 3, where he stands in the face of the power of his day, and he says, "'You better turn around and repent of your evil deeds.'" parents, wouldn't it be great if you could raise a child whose faith was so strong that they had the ability to stand in the face of any power on earth and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. You don't teach them that in the easy parts of life. Just because you tell them a Bible story is not going to teach them that kind of character and courage. The reality is they're going to have to go to the wilderness too. But you see, the way we parent often gets in the way of that because we don't want our kids to be unhappy. We don't want our kids to feel pain. And so we step into the mix and we take consequences away rather than making them learn them. The whole point of the wilderness is that God says to us, get out there and struggle. So as a parent, you need to do that for your kids. You need to let them struggle. And hold consequences high in their lives. So what do you do with all of this? When you find yourself in the wilderness, find a thin place. Do you have a place like that in your life? I was working through this. Every place I've been, every place I've lived over the last 20, 25 years, had a place where I could just go and... And it was where I knew that I could meet with God there. As I was working through this message, I realized, I've been here a little over two years, and I hadn't found that place here. But I can be you can be sure of this, I'm going to be in the process of looking for that. It's not the place, it's the place of our heart, but it's also a place where we know we met God right there yesterday. Do you have a place like that? Here's the last thing for you. If you happen to be in the wilderness today, if you're not, by the way, just hang on because it's coming. If you're in the wilderness today, I want you to ask yourself this question. Where's God in this? I think really the reality of it all is I I think it would be good for us all to just make sure that we always keep a little bit of the wilderness handy. That sense of neediness that pushes us to God in such a way that he says, I'm teaching you here. Let's pray. So what is God teaching you today? Here's a downside of a sermon like this. At any given time, a large percentage of the congregation is going to say, that's for somebody else. That may be true. Maybe that this whole thing has been for one person today. I don't know. But I do know that if you're not in a wilderness time in your life right now, you're gonna be. Maybe soon. It could be triggered by the government. It could be triggered by somebody in your life. It could be triggered by you. You may be the one making choices right now that pushes yourself out into the desert. Where is God in that? Can you hear his voice? Do you have the habits at work in your life today that if you go to the wilderness tomorrow, you'd know how to get in touch with God? One of the great things about our faith is that Jesus Christ promised that the Holy Spirit would take up residence in us. We never go anywhere without the presence of God, even the wilderness. How do you make sense of where you are? Where's God in your life? Those are questions that need to be answered. Father, we pray you take this time of invitation and use it for your glory. Change lives in Jesus' name.